are grateful again to be in the house of the Lord, thankful for, for his provision um, and his goodness to us as we've been working and walking through the book of Nehemiah um, as we're looking at how God is using Nehemiah to rebuild, um, like, like we've been saying, not just this area, not just a city, but to rebuild all of the people there. We have seen the contention that has come along with that. We have seen the work. We have seen the effort that has come along with that. And we're, again, looking through that in the lens of who has God called us to be as a church? How has he called us to reach and, and connect to people around us, not just locally, but also um, within the larger community? And so today's sermon is called A Complete Work. And the reason why that is the title of today's sermon is because we learned something from that text that was just read. We see something really important, and it's what it means to actually do a complete job. Now, we do live in such a time where everybody's got big visions, everybody's got big ideas, everybody is an entrepreneur, a visionary, and an influencer. But what does it mean to actually complete something? With all of our ideas, with all of our plans, with all of our lofty goals, do we have in our minds, okay, when I have completed this work, this is what it will be? You know, I think it is interesting because the more I think about it, the more I look into the future, I don't know that there is an idea of what completion looks like, right? I think we all know in the back of our minds, we know what completion in life looks like. And life is completed at the moment of death. And so what we are doing is doing as much as we can to live up until that moment, to evade death as long as we can. But my concern is in our attempt to evade death, knowing that that is the finished product of our life, we're leaving many things in life undone. Many things in life are incomplete. Most of us are on this upward trajectory where it's like, oh, God, I can't wait until I get to retirement. And then we get to retirement, and it's, I just never had a plan beyond that. I didn't know what it meant to complete this service of time because I had done it for so long. Now I've completed it, and what else am I going to do? We see this oftentimes with athletes, whether it's Typically, the greater athletes, the greater it is you are at something, the harder it is to leave it behind. And so they keep going back to that thing that gives them affirmation, that thing that gives them the identity. It's what they say. It's the journey is better than the destination. But I think many of us are journeying with no destination in mind. What does it mean in your life to complete the work that God has called you to do. Now, even in ministry, as we think about what the Lord has called us to do as a church, I don't believe that we are the end-all, be-all, and, and all of redemption and renewal and um, salvation is going to come through this church. But I do believe there are components in it to which we are uniquely gifted to serve the Lord the way that he gifted us, and that in the things that he's called us to do, we should complete that work. We should do a job that when we get done, we don't feel like something wasn't finished, something was incomplete, we left something behind. And so when we think about all the components that God has called us to in terms of completing that work, 
What does that look like? Is there anything that we can say like we've done as a church that we've completed as a body? Some people will say, and I'm not saying I disagree, well, the work never ends. And that is true, but some stuff we should be finishing. We don't want to be the church that has the 30-year building campaign and a building never gets built, right? Where you see the little tally is never going up because we have to dip into the funds and use those other things. No, if we set our hearts to something, if we believe that the Lord has called us to what he's called us to, he's not just called us to start it. He's called us not only to complete it, but also put in the parameters, make sure that the work we do is good work. You want to see the work completed. And to understand what completion means, as random as this may seem, we're actually not going to begin right back in Nehemiah. To understand today what it means to complete something, we're going to begin with Jesus on the cross. We're going to look at John 19 and 30. And I want to look at this text, hear what Jesus says, and let's see if we can put into context what it means for us. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Now, the end of Jesus' life, what we see on the cross, and we'll talk about in a few weeks when it comes to Easter, but what we understand about what happens on the cross is that as Jesus' life ends, it ushers in the completion of all things. Now, many of us know that the words that Jesus uttered on the cross is a specific word. It is tetelestai, and what is often translated for us is, it is finished. But if you know what it actually means, it means paid in full. So when we hear not just it is finished, but paid in full, why does Jesus proclaim it? For any of us who has ever paid off anything, there is probably no better feeling than hearing paid in full, which you know that means it is finished, no more payments. I have paid the debt that I owe, and I have satisfied this account. So why does Jesus at the end of his life proclaim, Tetelestai, paid in full? We've only got one point for today's sermon, so think about this and everything we say today. And the one point is this. All work should be compared to the cross. Whatever the Lord has called you to do, however the Lord has called you to live, Whoever the Lord has called you to be, however he has called you to serve with your gifts, your comparison of how well you are doing at that work is not horizontal. It is not your friend. It is not your enemy. It is not the pastor across the street or the singer down the road. It should be compared to the cross. How does my work look in comparison to what Jesus had to do? And just so you know this, the entirety of Jesus' life was actually to get him to the cross. Cross is not a surprise, it's not an accident, it's a plan. It is his miracles, his message, his interactions. 
All of those things that Jesus does are null and void if he never gets to the cross. Those miracles are no different than the person on the street who says they can lengthen your leg. If Jesus cannot get to the cross, then those miracles make him nothing different than any other soothsayer. But there is something unique about the fact that he gets to the cross. And when he gets to the cross, it is that work that transforms us from dead, empty vessels to vessels of life and honor. But without the cross, the work of Jesus is incomplete. If he has the power to perform miracles, but not the power to submit to death. We are all hopeless. And every miracle, every resurrection, every healing is moot. And this is why if you look in the Bible, all that we see Satan that was trying to do was to stop Jesus from getting to the cross. Now, I will tell you like this. No, Satan doesn't know that Jesus is going to go to the cross and die, but he knows who Jesus is, and he knows that he has a work to complete, and his main goal is to interfere, to stop that work from being completed. However, he intends on completing it. Jesus comes onto the scene in his 30th year of life, and he begins his ministry. And for three years, he goes about not only ministering to people in large scales and healing and performing miracles, but he's also taking his time to pour into a small group of people who he will then leave the gospel with in their hands to make sure that they can carry on the work that he has begun. And so... Not only would the work that Jesus does with the people be null and void without the cross, I want you to understand this as well. The work that Jesus does on the cross is null and void if he never interacts with the people. If Jesus just goes and dies on the cross and nobody knows who he is, it's just a random man who nobody has any knowledge of. If people had never seen those miracles, they had never interacted with him or heard his words. As good as the miracles are, Jesus was a better teacher than miracle worker. But if he just dies on the cross and we never hear his teachings, we never see his interactions, then the work is still incomplete. It is his ability in those conversations to transform people's lives in that moment. But then he transforms all of us eternally on the cross. He is perfect in the sense that Jesus can sit with sinners, but he can also sit at the right hand of the Father. So where does that put us? And what does that mean about us and our life in ministry? Well, it means that we don't have the luxury of majoring in life in incomplete ministry. We can't just say, I'm doing this one thing. But we also have to understand what completion looks like. 
I want to refer to our text here from Nehemiah to understand what he said it looked like for him. He said, now, when the wall had been built and I set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they are all standing, still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in the front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. Now, I want you to think about what is actually happening here. <coughs> it says that when the wall had been built. Now, if you remember initially, Nehemiah's focus when he's thinking about what has happened to his city is, if I can just get back there and rebuild the wall. So if you first hear this, you think when the wall had been rebuilt, what else is there to do? You did the one thing that you had set your mind to do. But we know that when Nehemiah got down there, he realized that the brokenness required more than just him rebuilding a wall. He had to rebuild the people. He saw the condition of the people. It wasn't just a wall that had to be rebuilt, but that wall could be viewed as a microcosm of everything that was wrong with those people. Broken down, without hope, in desperate need to be rebuilt. And so when Nehemiah says, I'm rebuilding, he's not just rebuilding the wall, but he's rebuilding the hopes and the values and the morals of the people that have been broken. He knows what this work is going to take. And I find it very interesting at times that many of us who feel like we've been called to faith or we've been called to leadership, we've been called to pastoral ministry, it is often, how can I build my kingdom on the backs of broken people? And you have these shards of glass who have formed this kingdom of lies. And those people will remain broken while many leaders and community people will build these fiefdoms of success, of glory, of pride, of glamour, all with a mission proclaiming that they came to rebuild and renew and restore. Listen. When you understand the depth of the work that the gospel has required of us, you realize, no, the Lord has not gifted you in all things, and you are not the end-all, be-all of witnessing and connecting to people. You are not God's savant. That was Jesus. Jesus, the only one who could be all things to all men without sin and satisfy every need that they had. He has no weakness in him to acknowledge. There is nothing in him to compensate for. But with all of us, we're weak. We've got weak spots. And that means that if God has called me to a work, 
He has not called me to do it as a believer apart from the body of Christ. He's not called you to do that. And what I have often learned, what I've often seen and often found is people who want to do the work that God has called them to do apart from the body of Christ is not because they want freedom, they want no accountability. But if you believe that the Lord has called you to a work, then that work, I firmly believe, comes through the local body of Christ. One, for accountability, Two, because you have weaknesses. And there are other members of the body who are strong in the areas that you're weak. You are most useful when you are a part of the body. But you know, the interesting thing is, (coughs) why do churches fail? Why do people not do as well as they could? Why do good people start off well but end up in destruction. Well, I want you to think about it like this. And I've said this before, but I really want to hone in on this because the, the great fight, right? It's a fight over powers, a fight over authority. And those are not the same things. But I want you to think about when power is most effective. I remember one particular day, it was actually after, here's the tornado again, after our building had been hit by a tornado. I actually drove up to the church at 5 o'clock in the morning, and it was still pitch black. And I could see all of these um, power trucks and all that, and I see them park. Well, I get out of my car because <coughs> I want to assess the damage. And so I'm walking up the sidewalk, but it's extremely dark, so I can't see much. I see a lot of destruction. And as I'm walking up, there's a man sitting in one of those trucks, And he says, if I were you, I probably wouldn't keep walking further. He was like, all those power lines right there are down, and they're still alive. Now, had he not been there, I just, well, I mean, y'all know what would have happened. It would have been a gone pastor, right? But it's, it's one of those moments where I realize electricity, as powerful as it is, until that power is constrained within power lines and directed exactly where it has to go, to a house or a building, wherever it is directed to go, it is nothing but force. And force without constraint is destructive. That electricity is most powerful when it can be used. What does a complete work look like? Well, it looks like a person who understands where God has placed them in the body. You might be gifted. You might be eloquent. You might be smart. You might be creative. (coughs) You might be a great musician. But if that power is not constrained in the body of Christ, you are nothing different than a down power line. Forceful, powerful, more dangerous than useful. And so many people try to disconnect themselves from the body and say, I'm going to do all these things to the glory of God and leave a pile of destruction behind them. If our goal, y'all, is to rebuild the brokenness that we see in Tarrant and in our communities, 
It is not going to come because we are the strength of God's church. It is going to come because we know what God has called us to do and how to partner with the people that God has strengthened in other areas. Not playing this territorial game where we think we own Tarrant. But we realize that it's a ministry. A ministry that God has not called us specifically to possess. And so it is important that if our goal is to rebuild and to renew, that means internally as a church, we have to be secure. If we want to go out, then we have to know who we are and what we're doing on the inside first. You cannot intend on rebuilding people when you have folks who are in church that are out of place. In the body of Christ, imagine if you have singers who should be in the helps ministry and you have people in helps who should be in administrations or you've got elders who should sit down and you've got men who should be elders who are not standing up. Think about it. <clears throat> we spend all this time to build this wall, to do this work, but when it's time to really do it, when Nehemiah's finally got things set up to do what they need to do, you got people trying to screw nails in. You got folks trying to hammer screws in. You got people who have the wrong tools for the work that they've been called to do. The job is not just just find a piece in the wall and start hammering it. Make sure that what you have, one, you are able to use the tool that you have. Two, make sure the tool that you have and the gift that you have is right for the work that you're trying to do. And very often, what ends up happening, especially churches when they're in desperation, they give people tools and armor they've not proved. Because we just need somebody to do the work. Like when David, nobody else faced him. Like, All right, David, you just come on. Let's <coughs> see if you can tackle this giant. And Saul starts to put his armor on him. And David realizes, if I try to go fight this giant, I can barely move under this armor. I am best suited to do this work if you let me do it the way God has called me to do it. And he says, look, I ain't proving this stuff. This is what Saul had, but what I have is, is different. It, it may look minuscule to you, but he was familiar enough with the tools that he had that he did the job that the Lord had called him to do. The work will only be completed when we can properly identify where we all fit in the body of Christ to do the work. 1 Corinthians 12 and 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. That is how God has arranged the members of the body. <clears throat> and what stifles the work from getting done 
as it is very often to happen, is that you have people who are serving and working in ways that God has not called them. Or you have people who are not serving or doing anything. And that is not often, honestly, I would say this. I don't think it's often out of arrogance. But it is because many of the people who should be in church, who should be doing the work, are absent. We got absentee members. I was at the gym one time. This is not in my notes, but I'm just going to tell you. I was at the gym one time. And it was this guy training somebody. And I didn't know he was her trainer. And she was like, this is my pastor. And I was like, I am? Because I didn't know. You got people who should be working, who should be committing, who should be doing the work, and they're not even here. They're not even involved. They're not even invested. And so what happened? Because people who have the gifts are not in place, then people who don't have the gifts, who are in place all over the place, got to step into one more thing. And there's plenty of people who think, well, they got it. (laughs) I would have helped, but uh, so-and-so took care of it. Mind the fact that so-and-so is doing a terrible job. It begins with where do I fit in the body of Christ and am I actually in place? Am I in place when I'm needed? Am I in place when there's work that needs to be done? It's not just that I can bring my gift around every two or three months. Am I in place? Do I believe that I need to be called to this work? I'll tell you like this. My great fear has not been, Lord, what happens if we never grow as a church? That's not my great fear. Because I'll tell you, there was at one point, if you remember, where we had more people coming than we could imagine never felt like a church. My fear was that that thing was going to grow, but it would be cancerous. And that you would have all these people who were just overgrown selves, who were feeling pews, but who weren't doing anything. That was my fear. So people ask me all the time now, it's like, what do you feel about the church? It's like, I feel like we're more of a church than we've ever been. But I also tell you like this, my great fear is not that the church grows. My fear is that the church is going to grow and people who should be there to help us sustain the growth are going to come to the party too late. And we're not going to be able to manage the growth that God gives us because folks was waiting for us to grow before they wanted to serve. And either the Lord is going to bring up people to serve in those areas where people miss the boat or church is going to collapse on itself. There's really no other option. So it's not just, Lord, have you called me to do the work? What is my gift? Am I in place? Let's look back at the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and 
he pronounces that something is finished, that something is paid in full. When Jesus completed his earthly ministry, he completely paid off the sin debt of those of us who believe. In that regard, there was nothing else for him to do. The wrath of God had been satisfied. And so the cross is the culmination of all of the work of Jesus. But to die on the cross completes one component of what he had been called to do. It was a multi-layer mission. And he had a multifaceted ministry. Jesus' ministry was to take away our sins, and he did that on the cross. But the other work that he did was that he had to defeat the leverage that Satan had on us regarding death. And he does that by being raised from the dead in a physical body. Many of us would have been saved. We would have been renewed and redeemed just from Jesus dying on the cross. But what gives us hope is that he didn't just die. He didn't just pay off the sin debt. But in that moment where he is raised from the dead, he now completes the work. And he also puts in the minds of 500 people no denial because he appears to them himself in the flesh, which means I am not just saved, but I have a hope. And what could have been an end, death, is just a beginning. That is what it means to do the full work But then, he does something else. He ascends back to the Father, and he takes his seat right next to him. The Trinity is trifold. Jesus comes. He has an earthly ministry. He teaches. That leads him to the cross. He dies on the cross. That satisfies the sin debt that we had, while also connecting to us as a people. He is raised from the dead, which means that the victory that Satan had over us, starting in the garden, he no longer has. And Jesus takes his seat now as our permanent intercessor and mediator. While Satan accuses, Jesus mediates. And he sent us his spirit to reside in us so that the impossible work to live like him is now made possible. Jesus is different than us, though. I hate those new commercials. They had a big one on Super Bowl. He gets us. He's different than us. He does get us, but not like they say. Jesus is different than us in this regard. He can do all of the work and see that it is all completed in his own strength and in his own authority. And that's different than all of us. We may be called to complete portions of the work, 
For the Lord has placed us in his body so that if we have been called to complete one part of the work while others come along and complete the other parts of the work. Nehemiah in our text is the visionary, but he's not a guard. He's a visionary, but he's not a gatekeeper. He's a visionary, but he is not a singer. He has appointed others to do parts of the work that he can't do. He knows his place. So how does this relate to us individually? And more specifically, how does this relate to the church? Well, individually, I am not Jesus in the sense that not one of us can do all of the work that God has called us to do on our own. We have to know our part. We have to know our role. And how we are gifted to not only do certain work, but also know that God has naturally assigned all of us limitations. There is stuff that I can do, and I can do it well, and there's stuff that I know I can't do. Humility and leadership and real relationship with Christ is knowing what your lane is. And knowing you are never more dangerous than when you start getting in other folks' lane. I like the way Paul talks about it. He says, look, some of us are going to be the planters. Some of us are going to be the waterers. But if I don't plant and somebody else doesn't come along and water, then God never gives the increase. If the Lord called me to plant, I don't need to be trying to water. If the Lord called me to water, I don't need to be trying to plant because that ain't what he called me to do. Plant and trust that the Lord has other members in the body to do the other work. I am best serving God when I complete the planning process. That's a completed work. And now I can leave it and trust that somebody else is going to come along and do what they need to do. I'm not called to plant, water, give the increase. And so my encouragement to you, because I do look out into the world and I see a lot of Christians who, I'm being honest, jack of all trades and apparently master of everything. I don't understand how that's possible. I want to give you some encouragement. That's not natural. And that's not real life. You've got limitations. If the Lord called you to plant, once you plant it, that work is complete. That work is done. However he calls you to plant. Once you've done that, leave it alone. It's not incomplete. Somebody else will finish it. It's incomplete when you try to do the stuff that he hasn't called you to do. Likewise, all of us have been called to do something in some regard, but my biggest strength is doing what I do and trusting God to work through everybody else that he is called to do what they do. The goal is not only to bring about spiritual renewal and redemption, y'all. It is to see that that spiritual renewal and that redemption transforms the lives that people live, where they're not just saved but still homeless. Because they've been saved, because they have renewed morals and renewed values, and they see men in a way that God has called them to see, or they see women now in the way that God has called them to see. They understand 
having children and responsibilities and serving the Lord that I haven't just seen you come to Christ, but that has totally affected the life that you live. And so I want you to understand this. If our church fills up with people, that doesn't mean that we're doing good work. That doesn't mean that we've completed anything. If we have multiple service and programs and ministries offered, that doesn't mean that the work is completed. The work is completed not in this grandiose, broad sense, but the work is completed. It's probably going to be discouraging, but it shouldn't be. The work is completed when we have one broken soul who by the work of all the members of this body, that broken, fragmented soul, fragmented by their sin, experiences renewal in their life by way of the gospel. It only takes one. Where I might plant and then the other members of the body who have special, special gifts in other places where I may plant or sow the word or give them this truth. Somebody else comes around and nurtures. And they don't just give truth, but they give hope. They give meaning. They give purpose. They can walk alongside them and say, all right, Brandon just came and gave you the truth. Let's find a place for you to live. Let's get you in some programs. Let's get you connected to the right people so that that spiritual renewal you experience, it sticks. And that your life is transformed. When that spiritual resurrection they experience resurrects all components of their life. Y'all, what we will realize is that while we can see that the completed work is completed sometimes on the individual level, Jesus also tells us that there are far more people in that harvest than there are laborers. It's far more people lost out there than there are people here who are willing to do the work. We will never bring complete renewal to every person and every component of the world, but that was never the work. A complete work is bringing life to death, wholeness to brokenness, even if for one life. And that means plugging into their life and doing life on life with them, discipling them, not just saying come to Christ and leaving them alone, but it is about being in that work for the long haul. I want to read a scripture to you that doesn't get read or talked enough about in churches. But I want you to understand what Jesus says here in Luke so you can understand what our work really is. And I'm closing. He says, so he told them this parable. <clears throat> what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds? And when he has found it, 
he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you this, there will be more joy in heaven over one sheep that was lost. Over one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous persons who needs no repentance. If one soul, by way of coming through those doors or you going out of those doors, come to Christ through the word that the Lord has called us to, if all of heaven is rejoicing over that, why aren't we? So often, and that's why I hate modern-day churching and church planning, so often we get lost in the numbers and the metrics and we have to quantify success. But this is the clear evidence to us that not only is it extremely successful to bring one soul to Christ, but all of heaven throws a party when we do. And you want to say, well, that isn't lofty or oppressive. One soul, just one soul to Christ. Anybody can bring one soul. If that's the case, let me ask you this. In the last year, who has come to Christ through the work that the Lord has called you to do? What about the last five years? Last ten? I thought it was easy. I thought it was unimpressive. Oh, Maybe the work is in numbers. Maybe it's people the Lord has called you to in your family, in your household, to do everything you need to do to draw them to Christ. And my fear sometimes is that we'll come here and we'll put on airs. And we'll make it look as good as we can. We'll dress up as much as we can. And we say, I'm in support of the work that the Lord wants me to do. And you will have more vigor to witness the people you don't know. To see renewal and redemption in people that you don't even know. And it's people that see you every day. Who know you but don't know Jesus. And you ain't bending over backwards for them. And you're going to come to this church and think you're going to do a complete work. You got too many incomplete projects in your own family. Too many people in your own family that you've already given up on. Let me tell you something interesting. So if you missed missed Bible study, it was really good Wednesday. Because we brought up this point, and I want you to understand this. In 1 Corinthians 5, because everybody wants to know, when should I give up on a person? When have I had enough? When do I just let them go? Well, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, if that person is an unbeliever, there is no such limit. He was like, all right. He said, when I, when I told you not to eat with these sexually immoral when I told you not to have any fellowship with the greedy or the swindlers, the covetous, the broken, sinful people in the world, he was like, let me clarify something. I did not at all mean those outside of the church. 
He said, why do you judge them? The Lord judges them. When I told you not to eat with the sexually immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or the liars or the backbiters, he said, I was actually talking about the people who say that they're Christians. So what if this is the newsflash? What if we have given up on people and relationships, people we know that are lost, people we know that the only opportunity they probably will have to hear the gospel is going to be through us, what if we've given up on them, yet persisted with people that we know are wrong? People in the church, and the Lord has given us a clear line and say, no. That person names himself a believer and you're persistent with them? No. Which now brings some sense to the scripture. How can you call yourself a believer? and not even care for those in your own household. Now, he doesn't mean literally in your house. He means in your family. But he says, you are worse than an infidel. I want to know what a complete work is. That's what you're saying. Brandon, okay, you said all this, but what is a complete work? A complete work is beginning wherever God has called you to be first. Everybody's home life, I don't mean just your literal home, Everybody in here, your home life, your family life, your friends, the people you know who aren't saved, that's your ministry. That's your first ministry. And I'm not saying that God, that God has called you to them and not to serve here. But what I am saying is there is no way that you can come here and plant and you ain't planting there. There's no way you're going to come water here and you're not watering there. I want all of our work to be honoring. I want it to glorify God. But it's not going to happen if I got a lot of incomplete projects in my life. People that, whether I haven't vocalized it or not, I've given up on. The work is completed, even if it's one. When one soul comes to Christ and they are renewed. And look, we might feel abused. We might grow, but I don't ever want us to lose the integrity of the, Lord, the work that the Lord has called us to do, and that's to complete the process of salvation by sharing the gospel and bringing renewal and redemption to the lives of the people that he's called us to. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Um, we thank you for the word. Um, Lord, it can be challenging at times to hear a message that is that's sobering. That it's not lofty. It's not saying that we, you know, we got this high arc and goal that we'll never attain and reach. But it's 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 practical. And God, the truth is, you know, if bringing people to saving faith it was easy, then this church would be filled up. But we know the real work is hard. God, we we have people in our families right now who we know need you, who we know desperately need salvation. God, I, I have people in my own life and family and, and are wrestling with bringing renewal and redemption here and not even thinking about people in my own family, God, and that, that's wrong. So, God, I ask that before we can commit to doing the work that you've called us here, God, let us, one, make sure we know who we are, but let us 
make sure that we're also doing in our own lives, our private lives, the work that you called us to do there, to rebuild people there, and then coming to rebuild here. Lord, give us the integrity to not just start a work, but to complete it, and to know our place, however we've been gifted, God. Help us know the ways that you've called us to serve you. Identify those and make it clear for us, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.